This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Good morning. In 1991, Misha and I loaded up my Dodge Ram pickup truck, connected it to a U-Haul trailer full of our belongings, and loaded up her Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra, and we drove from Lynchburg, Virginia, our home, to our new home in Lamont, Oklahoma. Anybody in here today from Oklahoma? Okay, I can say whatever I want (laughs) about Oklahoma and Oklahomans. So we drove to a little town of Lamont, Oklahoma. Um, this was a big move for us as a young married couple. We'd only been married a couple years, and so this was a big deal for us. And we arrived in the tiny town of Lamont, population 400, home of the sparkling brown water that flowed from your kitchen to faucet tap. And uh, we got settled in. We started unpacking, and it was apparently that day we were the hot item in town because a parade started. We launched a parade, and we didn't even know it. And all that day when we unloaded our, our belongings out of the U-Haul and out of the car and the truck, traffic slowly moved down our, our road. Very busy road. And I knew this can't be this busy because the town's only got 400 people. And uh, so they were coming, you know, because they were like, Hey, Ethel, I'm hopping in the truck going look at them new people. <laughs> new ones come to town. I'm going to check them out. That's how they are. So, got the shotgun in the rack, if I need it. You know, strangers come to town, you know, just like the Western. Stranger come to town, Sheriff! And uh, so, there we were, uh, unloading, and traffic's coming down the road. And I remember there was this big car, it's like a Cadillac, just huge boat car. Remember the good old days when cars were big? They were made out of real metal, and if you got in a crash, you were fine. Even the metal dashboard wouldn't hurt you. And this big old boat came floating down the road, and in it were two sweet little grandmas. I could barely see them over the steering wheel. And here they come. I guarantee you they weren't even going two miles an hour, and I saw them coming. And I I took what I had in my hands, and I set it down, because I love grandmas. And I turned and waved at them. And when I did, grandma punched the pedal to the metal. (laughs) She was gone. They spotted us, you know. Strangers in town. How many uh, Andy Griffith show fans? Yeah, every cr- good Christian should be. Um, I'll start a cl- discipleship class on that. But uh, everybody should watch Andy Griffith. And so if you're a real fan, you remember the episode, Strangers Come to Town, and he adopted Mayberry as his hometown. And he knew, he had researched, never been there, but he researched the paper and stuff. He knew everybody in town, their names, everything. And people in Mayberry were upset. You know, who is, he knows everything about us. Don Knotts, Barney, was super upset. He thought he was, you know, this guy was like a German spy, right? Remember, Sprechen's a Deutsch, you know? And so they, they were just all in a tizzy because this new guy was in town. That's the way it was for us. We showed up, we were the new people and uh, the new ones to stare at. And we were a young couple, which was very strange because in that town, most people were moving away, not to. And so we unloaded our uh, belongings and settled in. And that first Sunday, we went uh, to church. Now, Lamont has five churches. Um, I'm pretty sure they're still there. So with 400 people, you know that those five churches are probably pretty small congregations. So Sunday morning, we woke up like the good Christian couple we were. 
And we got in our car and we drove three or four blocks to Lamont Baptist Church. And a little, little white building with a steeple, kind of like the one that used to sit out here um, before we crushed it. And uh, so we, we went to church there and we walked in and the pastor was at the door greeting everyone and he was excited. You could see it in his eyes. There was a young couple in our church. Because most of the people were 50 and older. And so we walked in, and, and his name is Bob Smith. Pastor Bob was very excited. He reminded me, me when he talked, he sounded like, do you remember when Dana Carvey would do his impression of President Bush? Sounded just like him. When he talked to you, I was like, this is Dana Carvey all over the place. You know, he's like, I live up in Waukeda, you know, and not going to do it. He was just like him. It was crazy when he talked to me. My mind was just doing all, my mind when people talk to me does all kinds of crazy things anyways. But I was listening to him, I was like, wow. He sounds just like Dana Carvey. And it was so funny. I mean, he just met us. And somehow he found out that Misha and I both went to Liberty University. We're both proud Liberty University dropouts. And he was like, dead serious? He looked at us, he said, will you sing a duet? We just walked in the church, didn't know us from Adam. Somehow found out we went to Liberty University. Will you sing a duet? Because everybody that goes to Liberty University apparently can sing. He's seen them on TV with Jerry Falwell. So I was like, uh, yeah, I laughed. I was like, no, we, we don't do that, you know. <laughs> we don't even get near the stage, man. So he, he wants to sing a duet, which Misha sings great. She sings in the choir. She's a good choir singer. Um, when I'm in the bathroom taking a shower, it's like Journey is in there, the band. And, and it's, it's incredible concerts I do when I'm in the shower. And I sing great. I've sang with the band. Some of you have heard me sing with the band. But apparently I'm not good enough because they haven't invited me back, right? <laughs> so um, he wanted us to sing a duet. Well, once he realized we weren't going to do that, his wheels are turning. Young couple. They're young. They're fresh, you know. <laughs> and he said, will you, not that first Sunday, but after you got to know me, he said, will you teach the youth Sunday school class? And I said, no, not going to do it, you know. <laughs> I said, I don't like kids. Teenagers are punks. That's what I said to the pastor. Because I wanted to make it clear. No, sir. I'm not crossing that line. You are not hooking me and getting me in there, right? And he was very persistent. He kept asking me. And I was, no, I don't like kids, you know. If I were to go around and look for somebody to join the youth ministry team today, and I asked you and you said, I don't like kids, I would say, okay, that's great. And I would walk away and leave you alone. But Bob, Pastor Bob was just over and over would ask me. And so um, eventually... I had watched this group of five to seven middle and high school students at Sunday school get handed from one Sunday school to the teacher. They would go through two or three teachers a year. Not that they were bad, it's just people couldn't be consistent and dependable. So I finally did it just because I knew I would be consistent and dependable. Misha and I went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and we were there. Uh, I installed the sound system in that church. I ran the sound every Sunday. I counted the offering every Sunday. I mowed the church lawn. I was, I was doing everything I could possibly do to serve at this church. But next thing I know, I'm sitting in a room with teenagers looking at me and, and a quarterly Sunday school thing, and I'm about to teach, and I'm scared to death because I'd never done that in my life. But I finally gave in so they would have some consistency. And uh, that's how it all started. And after watching... This, um, these students get handed off and I took over the class and started teaching. Um, I realized something. I realized, hey, you know what? 
this is where my passion and burden is. I, they're not that bad. Middle school and high school kids, they're not, they're not really freaks. Right? They're okay. And so I've discovered that. And uh, some of you, and I just stepped up and did it because it had to be done. Sometimes, in your home, at your house, you do things at home because someone just has to do it, right? How many of you have taken out the trash? Hey, we don't like doing that. Someone's got to step up and do it, right? Sometimes you do things at home in your family because somebody has to do it. It's the same way in church. Some of you great, your partners at Nagsa Church, and you're great, and you have stepped up and, and filled a hole because someone just had to do it. Now, the whole time you're in that ministry, you're praying, Dear God, please some, send someone to Nags Head Church who can hand this worship outline to the people at the door because I'm tired of smiling at people. <laughs> it's not how I'm wired. Dear God, send them. Right? But you do it because it has to be done. Have you ever had God calling you to do something that you thought you didn't want to do? Just don't want to do it. And maybe today you're here, you're like I was with Pastor Bob. I kept saying, no, no, no. I don't like kids. And maybe you're here today and you know God is working on you to do something for him, to serve him in some way in your church, and you keep putting off or making excuses to keep from doing it. So during that time of teaching these middle school and high school students, I realized I enjoyed that ministry and and serving students. And that's where I discovered that the thing I said I didn't want to do was actually my passion in ministry. And I would never have discovered it if I didn't just say, okay, I'll do it. And I'm sure that night when Pastor Bob went home from church, he did a happy dance that somebody was going to take over this class. This morning, we're going to continue, actually we're bringing to a close our Miraculous Summer series, talking about the miracles of Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at an event, you can go ahead and turn to Luke 5. I want us to look at an event in the life of Simon Peter. And we're going to look at this encounter that Simon Peter had with Jesus Christ and the miracle that happened there and how it radically impacted and changed Simon Peter's life. So Luke chapter 5, I'm going to start with verse 1. It says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, remember that line, But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. And he said, Oh Lord, please forgive me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. God invites you to follow. And your response is key in a few different ways. First of all, it's, it's uh, key to eternity, right? 
when we feel God pulling at our hearts and we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, that's a key moment in our life. And, and we're choosing to follow Him, and it impacts our eternal destiny. Because once we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have that home in heaven, eternity in heaven when life on earth is over. It, it can also, that choice, decision we make at that moment, if we go in a negative route, affects it the other way. We won't spend eternity in heaven with God and Jesus Christ. We'll spend eternity separated from the Savior and spend eternity in hell. So when God wants you to follow him, first of all, it affects eternity. Second thing is it affects your spiritual health, your decision, what you do in response to God asking you to follow. When we don't choose to follow Christ, we cease to grow as a believer. And what I mean by that is when we put our faith in Christ and, and he's calling us and showing us what he wants us to us to do with our lives and, and we say no like I did to Pastor Bob it affects our spiritual growth as a, as a Christ follower as a believer and when we choose not to serve we cease to grow when we choose to disobey we're not in a right relationship with God so when he's asking us to do something if we're in disobedience there's no way we can be spiritually healthy to not serve in the church is just as harmful as to say I'm not going to give back to God what he's blessed me with it's just as harmful to your spiritual health as to say, I'm not going to open the Bible and read it on my own. So it affects your spiritual health. The other thing it does is your response is key to your testimony and your impact on others. When we choose to follow Christ and serve Him, others will see a difference that a relationship with Jesus Christ can make in a person's life. Here in Luke chapter 5, we find Jesus preaching, and as in, in most of the other events we've looked at this summer, the crowds are just pressing in. They're all around him. They want to be healed. They want to hear what he's teaching. They're blown away by what Jesus is saying. So he finds himself backed up to the edge of the sea, and there's not enough room for him to teach the crowd. So he has to do something. He has to make some room to teach. So he steps into Peter's boat. And he has Peter push the boat out into water. It's interesting, when I read this, I read this section of scripture over and over again in preparation for today. And it was interesting, it struck me that Jesus didn't ask for permission to get in the boat. Jesus, Jesus just walked up and stepped into the boat. Jesus doesn't has, have to ask us permission to do what he wants with our lives, does he? He'll get right in the middle of your life and tell you what needs to be done. He'll get right in your middle life and say, this is what I want you to do. He doesn't ask for permission. And when it comes to Christ asking you to do something for him, it's very important that we don't make excuses. Now Peter and the fishing partners he was working with, they were busy cleaning up after a long night of fishing. They worked the graveyard shift. Any of you ever worked the graveyard shift? You worked jobs where you worked all night. Oh, it's horrible, isn't it? And so they had been up all night out on the sea fishing and working. And if you've ever worked all night, I'm sure you know the feeling of being tired in the morning. And when you get home, when everybody else is waking up, you're going to bed. I mean, it's all reversed and you're tired. In student ministry, I used to do this dreaded event we call a lock-in, right? If you're not familiar with a lock-in, you lock yourself into the church with a bunch of teenagers lots of middle school boys, you eat pizza, you watch movies, you play games, you stay up all night. 
I used to do that insanity. And now I'm on part of these youth pastor forums and they'll, you know, someone will ask a question. What do you do at your lock-in? And my response now is always, run away. Don't do it. Teenagers, they love it. They want to stay up all night. But what I realized as I got older, I was like, oh, I can't do this. It would mess me up for days. You know, I... I mean, it's like jet lag. It's like you flew to the Philippines and came back, and you've got to recover. It's going to take you a week to get back to normal. And so I just stopped doing them. I can't do it physically. I'm too old now. I won't do it. But I know whenever I did those events, I would come home and plop into bed and sleep. That's all I wanted to do. The last thing I wanted to do when I got home was to start doing chores around the house or do anything else. I just want to go to bed. So here's Peter and his friends, fishing buddies, and they've been up all night. Peter didn't say, when Jesus said, push out into the water, he didn't say, I'm tired. You know, I worked long hours. I was up all night. Uh, I just need to sleep, right? I can't help you right now. I've just got to go to bed. Peter could have given the excuse of tired. And then these guys, when Jesus arrived on the scene, they were busy washing their nets, right? They were cleaning up, packing up, getting ready so they could go home and sleep so they could get up that night and do it all over again. So they're cleaning their nets. They were truly busy at that time. But Peter didn't use busyness as an excuse to say, I'm too busy right now. Um, That would have been an excuse he could have given when Jesus was asking him to push out and when Jesus asked him to go fish in deep water. Now at Nagshead Church, we have 182 partners. If you're a guest with us today, we call our members partners because we're all in this thing together, serving together. We have 182 partners. We currently have 159 of those partners involved on a ministry team of some sort. Um, So I know I'm preaching to the choir because about 88% of our partners are serving on a team. That's not, I'm not happy with that. I'm happy with 100%, but there's 88% serving. So I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. And, uh, and probably if you're here on vacation and you're at church, that shows me you're probably pretty committed at your home church back home. And so you're probably serving at your church back home. And if you're not, next Sunday when you roll up in church, tell your pastor, I want to serve. Give me something to do. After you pick him up off the floor, I'm sure he'll come up with some ministry for you to do to serve in your church. Um, it's important to remember that all of us as Christ followers have been called to serve in our church. We all have a ministry to do within the body of Christ, every one of us. And so here you go, Nagshead Church Partners, your quiz. Are you ready for the quiz? Let's see how well you listened in Rick's class and other classes. When you serve others in the church, I'll give you a clue, it starts with an M, both of them. When you serve others in the church, we call that ministry. Very good. Serving others in the church. Every one of us as partners of Nagshead Church, God wants us serving each other in this church. Right? If we're not doing it, not right with God. The other M is mission. Every believer has been called to be on mission in some way, sharing their faith, right? If we're not doing mission, we're not right with God. So those are the two M's. Just last Saturday, a team from Nags Head Church returned from a mission trip. So when I arrived, I arrived three days before the team and uh, to witness camp in action. And Richard, who's the camp director, his kids were so excited, another team was coming from Nagshead Church because he loves our students but I had to break the news to him I said hey it's the geriatric trip we're all old people this time 
But they worked every bit as hard as students did. It was hot like on Wednesday. The real field was 105, and we were working hard. And I guarantee you those camp cabins are the cleanest they've ever been um, since they've been built. So just a great time. Every one of us, as a Christ follower, should have a mission and a ministry and should be serving in that way. And next at church, when we join as a partner, we understand and know that we are expected to serve. Why? Why is that an expectation or a requirement of our church partners? It's because God has gifted us to serve, and He's called us to serve, and our desire is that our partners be spiritually healthy. Ephesians 4.16 says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. My excuse to Pastor Bob was I don't like kids. And that was my out from doing ministry um, that needed to be done in our church. Peter could have used that excuse of I'm busy. And as pastors, uh, we hear all the excuses. That, uh, and it's assumed often when people give us an excuse that we, we don't see through the smoke screen. I've heard them all. You know, I mean, all. Some, sometimes they're almost laughable, some of the excuses I hear. But here's the deal. And I also wonder, hey, Terry, can you look? Is there dumb written on my forehead? No, I'm smarter than you think. I got street smarts. So I hear all the excuses, but the most popular one is I'm busy. I'm, right now I'm in a busy season of life. And that season went from a month to three years. I'm like, oh my gosh. I would love it if hunting seasons were that long, you know? I'm, it's a really busy season. Or Sunday is my only day off. I had nothing to do with that. You know, when you have ADD, the devil goes in overtime. If it's not a screaming kid, it's groovy music in the background. <laughs> Everybody just. And this is, this is lit, streaming live on Facebook. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep talking. I feel like saying, you're darn right. Uh. Am I picking up frequencies like alien frequencies? Or that was from nowhere. I have no idea where that came from. Was totally awesome. Right, bring it back. So we hear all the excuses. I'm busy. I want you to look around. Some of you, you look around. Sometimes people go, I look around and I don't really know many faces. Like half of you are guests, half are partners. Just kind of look around, glance around the room. All right, look, look around. Who isn't busy? If you're not busy, raise your hand. You're not busy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're not busy I will talk to you afterwards um, I got a job for you We're, you know most people are super super busy and uh, that's sometimes that's the biggest excuse we hear is I, I'm, I'm too busy you know what the ones the partners in our church who are knocking it out of the park when it comes to ministry are the ones who are the busiest people I know but they understand priorities. They get their priorities right in their life. Those are the ones I want on my team. I want the super busy people with good priorities because they're going to get it done. They know how to do things in their busy life. 
Imagine if Peter, Peter would have said, I, I'm busy, I'm too tired. And if he ignored Jesus' request, think of what Peter would have missed out on. Um, he would have missed out on witnessing the miracles of Christ. He would have missed out on learning from God in the flesh. It was right there with him. He would have missed out on that. He would not have walked and lived out daily life, day in and day out, with the Savior of the world if he'd have said, I'm too busy. Can you imagine that? Hanging out, being Jesus' best friend, hanging in his group of best friends, he would have missed out on all of that if he'd have said, I'm tired or I'm too busy. He would not have had the opportunity to be the one that preached the sermon in Acts chapter 2, where when he got done preaching, 3,000 people came to know Christ. He would have missed out on that. That was the birth of the church at that moment. Peter would have had nothing to do with that. Peter would not be a person we would consider a hero of the faith today. Now those of you who are serving in the church right now, you didn't make an excuse. Like Peter, you stepped up and you said, yes, I'll follow. Um, Yes, I'll serve Christ. Think about how that's had such a positive impact on your life and how it's helped you grow grow spiritually. Think of how it's helped our church grow. Um, Think about how God has used you in your ministry to accomplish great things for him here at Nagshead Church to help us reach the strip of sand that we live on. If I had continued to say to Pastor Bob from Waukita, not going to do it, you know, if I would have said, no, I'm not, no, I would not be standing here today because it was that yes to teach Sunday school that helped me realize God's plan and purpose for my life. And if I continued to say no, I would have missed out on so much. And so would you because you wouldn't know me, most of you. Right? You're going, well, maybe that would have been a good thing. If I had done that, I would have missed out on so much, even missed out serving here at Naxxed Church. So don't make excuses. Because here's the deal. Jesus is going to stretch you when you follow him. He's going to ask you to do things in life that may not make sense to you. Jesus, a carpenter's son who grew up in a carpentry shop with his earthly dad, learning to make chairs and tables and probably dove right in with Joseph and helped build furniture or whatever, did carpentry, right? He's a carpenter. He's telling a fisherman what to do, how to do his job. That would be like me getting up tomorrow morning at 4 a.m. and going to Wanchi's and telling those fishermen how to catch fish. After I got beat up, right? I got my own episode of Wicked Tuna, right? After I did that, you know, I can't go down there and tell them because I have no clue. So Peter, here's a carpenter's son, Peter telling me, a fisherman, a pro fisherman, how to catch fish. Um, He knew fishing inside and out. And here Jesus is saying this, go out where it's deeper. Let down your nets and catch some fish. Then say, and maybe you'll catch some fish. He said, let down your nets and you'll catch some fish. What did Jesus think Peter did all night? Was he out there on the ocean having a little relaxing midnight cruise all night? You know, Peter toiled all night trying to catch fish. Peter obviously knew the best time and the best place to catch fish because he's a professional fisherman. He knew what he was doing. He had already started to clean the nets. Now he's got to clean them all over again. But I love Peter's response in verse 5 when he said, Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. You stepping out and following Christ's call in your life is the same thing. He is asking you to go where it's deeper 
And your faith will grow deep roots when you're stretched by the call of Christ on your life and you respond obediently. He may ask you to do some things that petrify you, that scare you to death. I would have never done this. 25 years ago, if you said you're going to stand up in front of a church and preach, I would have laughed and said, ain't no way. Scares me to death. The step of faith he may place before you will stretch you, but it's for your own good. It's for your own spiritual growth. When I realized I enjoyed teaching Sunday school, um, this is, and I realized, hey, this is what God wants me to do. He wants me to invest into the lives of middle and high school students. And after that, I came to realize, this is what I'm going to do full time. This is what God wants me to do with my life. And God's used the past 25 years of what he's called me to do to grow my faith in him, to learn to depend on him. And, and when I'm tired and I'm busy, my, my faith is strengthened because that's when he's stronger in my life. Jesus is going to stretch you. other thing is obedience brings blessing. Just a basic principle in life, right? If you're at school and you're obedient, things go well with you. If you're at home, you're obedient, things go well. Verse 6, it says, And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Their boats were overfilled, more than they could even imagine. This step of faith brought on the best business day Peter had ever had as a fisherman. It was his biggest day, the best day of business. There's no better place to be than in the center of God's will. If you're a parent, you understand uh, obedience, right? I like my children to obey. And, And when they do, it goes better for them. When my children are obedient, they get more of my trust. When my children are obedient, they get more freedom. When my children are obedient, they get more allowance money, right? It just goes well for you. And you're blessed when you're obedient. Other thing is this. Your obedience will be a testimony to others. Your obedience to God will be a testimony to others about your faith in God. How much do you trust Him? The other fishermen witnessed what Jesus had just done. And they were amazed by the load of fish. They were blown away. It wasn't the right time of day to catch the fish. It wasn't the right place to catch the fish. But for some reason, they caught more fish than anybody had ever seen. They were amazed. When those around you watch you live your life in obedience to God, you will have an impact on them. They will witness God at work through you and in your life. And they'll see God working in you. Since I'm the ministry team's pastor here at Naxa Church, I know of all the wonderful ministry opportunities we have and some that are just starting to bloom in people's minds, coming up with new ministries. And I know about these things. But if you're a partner here today and you are not serving, I'll be right down here at the end of the worship gathering. I would love to talk how to get you connected and plugged in and serving and find that joy that comes from using... um, what God has called you to do, using the gifts and how he shaped you. Let me also say this, partners. Don't let an eight-year-old whoop up on you. Right? Here's the deal. I, I, was leaving, I left my house at 7.45 this morning, and when I left, my eight-year-old son, Eli, sitting on the sofa with a Bible open, reading about, I think, if you're in Calabunga Cove, teacher, Lazarus, was that today? Reading about Lazarus, looking over the guppy's lesson plan. Eight-year-old boy. Because during the first gathering, he was serving as an eight-year-old boy. 
He put some 80-year-old Christians to shame that moment because they're too lazy to get up and serve. Don't let an 8-year-old whoop you, right? If I went out on a basketball court right now with an 8-year-old, they would whoop me, right? I don't want to be beat by an 8-year-old. He's setting a great example. I was blown away by that. I didn't even say anything to him. I just witnessed and walked on. I thought, wow, an 8-year-old gets it. And there's a lot of mature Christians, mature in age Christians, who haven't caught on to that yet. God wants you to serve. He looks forward to it. He loves it. And then he goes to his class in the next and learns about Lazarus that he just uh, talked about or was in with the class previously. So what's keeping you from doing what Jesus is asking of you today? What's keeping you from doing that? Too busy? Too tired? Got too much going on? There was a huge step between push your boats out and making you a fisher's man. That was a huge step. Pushing your boat out a little bit, that's easy. Go out and catch some fish. Peter loved to do that, and he was blown away. But then the huge step of faith is, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Verse 11 tells us they left everything. On the day that they probably were making the most money they have ever made, their best business day, they walked away from it all. We're Americans, and in America, a lot of times it's all about the almighty dollar. And if you're in business, you understand your goal is to make that money. These guys were making it that day, and they turned and walked away from it all. Every last penny. I don't know what they did with the fish. Somebody benefited from it. But they turned and followed Jesus, left everything right then and there. To be some part of something much greater than catching fish. Jesus proved to them that there's something greater to be done than their everyday routine. We all have everyday routines, don't we? Most of us. I'm a creature of habit. And if something is not part of my routine, it's, it doesn't happen. Here's the deal. I'm in trouble. Today, I'll just confess. My routine on Sunday mornings is wake up, read the Bible, get dressed, shower. I shower, that's important. Get dressed, drink at least two cups of coffee, and come to church. What's not part of my routine is putting the roast in the crock pot with the potatoes and the carrots and all that good stuff. I was supposed to do that this morning. Looks like McDonald's for lunch today. The half hour wait in the McDonald's drive through line awaits my family. Because it's not part of my routine. We're creatures of habit. I used to work at a dairy farm and some people find that funny, but hey, milk's good. Does the body good. Cows are creatures of habit. And when you throw something out of the ordinary at a dairy farm, the cows, they get confused. And we're the same way. We're creatures of habit and routine. Peter's routine was sleep all day, get up, go get the boat, go out, fish all night, clean the nets, go back home. Sleep all day, get up, and just repeat it over and over. And that day, Jesus showed up and said, I want to change your routine. I want to throw something at you that's going to impact your life beyond what you can imagine. So what is it that's keeping you from letting Jesus interrupt your everyday routine? We have the same opportunity to be used to do something much greater, and it simply takes obedience. So what is it that Jesus wants you to do today? And don't miss out on what he has in store for you. Verse 10, Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. Peter just had his mind blown, right? By Jesus Christ, the miracle he just witnessed. 
Don't be afraid, Jesus says to him. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. The call went simply from pushing the boat out to you're going to go with me and change this world. I'm going to radically change the trajectory of your life is what Jesus was saying to Peter. Don't be afraid. Verse 11 says, and as soon as they landed, I mean, as soon as they landed, they gave no excuses. They didn't ask for more time. They didn't say, well, I have to go take care of a few things first on my to-do list before I have time. On the best day of their career, they walked away from it with no idea of the adventure Christ was about to take them on. They left everything and followed Jesus. They left that huge haul of fish. Think of what that represented in dollars. They left it all. What is Jesus calling you to do today? Are you willing and ready to give up everything to do what he calls of you? Most of our ministries here at Nagshead Church aren't going to require you to give up everything. They might require you to give up an hour time, hour and a half, three hours. That's nothing. These guys gave up everything to follow Christ. What are you willing to do to make an impact on your community? What are you willing to do to serve each other because we love each other? What are you willing to do? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this um, event in the life of Simon Peter and that we could um, learn from him. God, how amazing. What you did is mind-blowing. And God, uh, Peter took a huge step of faith to walk away from his career, his business, his income, to follow you the rest of his life. God, it's an amazing thing. Lord, you've called each one of us to serve in our local church in some way. You've called us to minister to each other in some way. Lord, I pray for Nags Head Church, for our partners. I thank you so much for those partners who give time every week serving here at the church. I pray for our partners who have yet to catch on to the joy of serving each other. Lord, that God, you will guide them to the right ministry shaped for them so they can experience that. Lord, I pray for us as a church, as Christ followers, that we'll be serious about the mission you've called each and every one of us to share our faith. God, don't let anything hold us back. You're looking at us and saying, don't be afraid. Follow. In your name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.